0: Hello, and welcome to Broadening the Narrative. This is a podcast where I talk to people who are broadening the narratives I was taught within white evangelicalism. I'm your host, Nikki Pappas. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm so glad you're here. My first memoir, As Familiar as Family, is now available to purchase on my website at NikkiPappas.com. I'll share more about this at the end so we can get to today's episode. On today's episode of Broadening the Narrative, I am joined by Corey Leak. In the bio he uploaded, he wrote, just a person contending for a better world, which is exactly what we will be discussing today. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, Corey. And I know we were having a little pre-conversation, but yeah, how are you today?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate being able to, to be on your podcast. I know we got to spend some time together in Alabama, you and your husband. And that was amazing. So um, when you asked, I was honored to to be able to take some time and and come hang out some more.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Could you just share some more about yourself, about your background, sort of anything you think would give a good launching pad for talking about yeah. contending for a better world?
1: Yeah, so I mean, um, man, okay, I won't go back too far, like, you know, to the womb, but <laughs> like uh, I grew up um, uh, adopted by a pastor. So I grew up as a pastor's kid um, and I grew up in a predominantly black, Uh, neighborhood and church but I went to school with uh, mostly white actually almost all white kids in Christian school about 20 miles outside of our our city that we lived in growing up so I grew up with this you know mixture of black friends um really in the hood to be honest and white friends that were living out in the suburbs in a town called Collinsville Illinois which kind of um it, it almost It's almost like Mayberry, to be honest with you, um, where I was going to school. Uh, and my, growing up in an AME church, which is like very intentionally black. Um, and my weekly experience with this almost very intentionally white Christian experience, I grew up in, in between both of those. Um, but certainly my childhood, even even to adulthood was largely influenced by Christianity and and that tradition in church. And so that was pretty much all I knew. So I, you know, went. I started going to college, but like felt this draw to go into ministry and went into full-time ministry eventually and thought that I was doing the right thing for the world. It was like, I felt like, you know, um, I was a singer and artist you know still sing but not just to myself right now you know but um, I felt like it was my purpose and calling and that I was doing good in the world by doing it by singing and leading people in worship and opposing all of these uh, liberal progressive political stances that were showing up Um, and then one day in 2016 I just felt like the work I was a part of as a working for a church was not actually contending for a better world or doing good the way I thought it was. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I began to feel like it's not doing any good for the world. It's just helping people escape it. You know, it's helping people like escape the realities of their, um, you know, of of the world around them, helping people not have to see the poor helping people not have to see the marginalized. And and it it became more apparent to me that that's what the tradition I was a part of, more evidence that they weren't concerned with what was happening to actual people was the way that the church and people in churches responded to George Floyd was that that there were churches that went, we're gonna talk about racism and and anti-blackness and all those things. And the outrage that came from Christians over that told me everything I needed to know about how little churches were helping people live in the world amongst people who weren't like them and who viewed sexuality and gender and race and um, policing and poverty, like how everyone had a different slant and position on those things. How much Christians had no ability to create belonging spaces for people who were different than them. And I was just like, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, I want to, I want to find a way to contend for a better world. That's, I don't want to contend for a better church. I felt like that's what my job was was to help make the church better, make Christians better, make, make, uh, you know, let's, Let's create a a society that is conducive for Christian living and no one else. I didn't want to do that. So set out, started a podcast, started a blog, um, started having regular conversations on social media about the things that I cared about that I thought were important for us to wrestle with about how societies are arranged and the rest is history.
0: Oh my gosh, okay. Like, can I just say how much I just love talking with you? I just <laughs> want to sit here and listen to you talk. Oh, You're so much of... like hitting me and resonating and bringing up so many feelings. And like we were talking uh, kind of pre, pre-recording, mm-hmm. even though it was already recording, but you know, um, <laughs> cause I have to do that. So I don't forget, yeah, record. Exactly. But exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just. Like with everything, like at the time we're recording this, the Supreme Court decisions that are just coming down and one after another, and me sitting with this grief of, wow, grief at what is happening, a lot of grief about that, coupled with grief for the Christian institution and where people are, and then grief for myself and where I once was. And to know not that long ago, like you were talking about, like fighting for. Uh, or against like in opposition to the liberal uh, agenda or whatever the language would be around mm-hmm. that. And so it's like, wow, not that long ago, I would have seen so many of these things as a victory. And now, whoa, I can't believe that I was once so caught up in that, that I couldn't see the ways that those decisions are going to impact real people. And then to sit with how those things don't bring abundant life. And I love that language you brought up of Mm -hmm. contending for a better church versus contending for a better world and sitting in this idea that Jesus said, Jesus saying, I came that like people would have abundant life. And so I look around me and I'm like, why are we doing like, why don't we want people to have everything they need? And then I brought that up in a call with Luddy Gore's Patreon Last night, and she was like, "Yeah, not just what they need, but what they want, right? (laughs) Like Mm. what people need and want." And yeah, because I had shared um, this—I don't know—meme, but that's not the right word. I don't know how to use the language uh, that was talking about. If it were about babies, then there would be formula and diapers and childcare, like all those things. And I was sharing it from a heart of holding accountable an institution such as the supreme court that is trying to say that they're doing it for babies when it's like but you're not doing these other things and then a white christian who was once one of my best friends who i haven't talked to since february last year like that's the thing that they decided to comment on mm-hmm. and to try to put me in my place about economics <laughs> <laughs> and and it's just interesting to me because i'm sitting here saying now i'm looking at it as my reaction seems a lot more rooted in the gospel and in Jesus than a reaction about economics, mm-hmm. right? And so then I'm sitting with that, and then I'm reading what this person says, and I put the boundary of harmful comments will be deleted, people will be blocked, unfriended, etc. And they said all their things. They they uh, gave the quote um, solutions of. You know, this is for the church to step up and volunteer at pregnancy centers and to adopt, you know, solutions that we know don't get to the root of things. And so sitting with that, and then he said, I'm sure this will count as a harmful comment. So I'll see myself out and then the peace sign. And so I'm like, wow, this is someone who I have such, I still love this person, right? Like I blocked them after that, but that doesn't mean I don't care about this person, love this person. So how Corey, how do we (laughs) contend for a better world when this is what the white evangelical establishment, which then flows out of the white Christian church to other Christian groups, like you were saying, uh, your experience within Christianity and what you were experiencing in a Christian home and church, but also Christian school and all those things. So how do we contend for a better world with people who want some, like, I don't, and I don't even want to say they want something different per se, because I think at the root of it, we want the same things, Mm. right? Like Mm. we want to belong. We want to like, I don't know, all these human desires, but how we get there when there's so many different ways of getting there. Like how, do, how do we contend for a better world together? What does yeah. that look like? <laughs>
1: I mean, I, I actually just had lunch with a friend of mine. We were talking about this because we're, we're pretty much always wrestling with this idea of belonging. Uh, and I'm, and I, I, I was at a, um, like a benefit dinner or something last week, um, you know, meeting a bunch of people that were um, in philanthropy and doing this philanthropic work throughout the country and I met this person who lives in Portland. Um, she's a queer woman that like has a consultancy for DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion work. And she, um, she said, I don't like using the word inclusion because, and it said, she didn't even have to say anything else. And I knew what she meant, right? Because inclusion means that there is a group of us that have established a way of being and we're gonna make space for someone who different to come into the space with us—that's our space. Hey, you're welcome to come into our space. Belonging is different. Belonging is everyone's equal, right? Everyone, everyone gets to curate the space. And I think that one of the one of the things about contending for a better world when you have all this polarization is that you have to have people um, willing to um, come into a space together and allow the rules, the behaviors, the beliefs to emerge from the relationship just like in a partnership that you have with a domestic partnership. If it's gonna work, you're gonna have to bring your differences to like submission to the greater good of our partnership. And once you establish what can we agree upon that again emerges out of our experience. So that's what do I mean by that. So like you and your husband, as an example, you've had things that happened I'm sure, because my my partner and I have had the same thing, where it's like this happened, we remember it, and therefore from now on we're going to do this, or from now on, we're not going to do this. From now on we're not we're we're never going to say this again, or we're going to start saying this more. And it wasn't like you decided when you said your wedding vows. <laughs> it's not like it's not like you covered everything that there is to cover. You just decided we're going to go into relationship with each other. And throughout the course of the relationship, as, th- as things come up, we will adapt and change and pivot and move and make decisions and all those sorts of things. And knowing all, all the while there is a, a, a risk or a chance that we come to a place where there is not mutual agreement and we hope that we can amicably amicably part ways. I think it's no different in larger groups of belonging and contending for a better world is, is creating spaces where people can belong, regardless of what their background is, what's their ethnicity, their race, their belief system, their gender, it's like, everyone can belong here. So initially, everyone's welcome. We're all here together, we're functioning, we're living together, we're talking together, we're learning how to be community together. And out of those experiences, things will emerge that maybe someone gets hurt or harmed by something someone else does or says, we visit that and we say, okay, what how was the harm what there's a difference between harm and pain was this harm or was it pain if it's harm how do we repair the harm and then how do we how do we institute things that go we know that this causes harm to people in this community so we don't do this anymore you know to me that's just like there is no perfect way you know there's not like you can go in and avoid you're not going to create a world where there is no conflict where there is nothing that you there is no unknown there is no mystery that's just not real you know but establishing a place where belonging is the breeding ground for our like experience and institution and learning and growing. I think that, that to me is, is better than what we have now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just some of the things I wrote down, is like this greater good and what can we agree upon and sitting with that. And I think so much of my initial stepping out of the white evangelical church was stepping out to try to like jump into quote, anti-racism without healing <laughs> the parts of myself that needed to be healed. And so now I'm realizing like, while my healing is for myself as an individual, in a way it's not done individualistically, like Steve and I were talking about how that is again, just like a product of whiteness is to like, I'm going to do this on my own. Uh, Well, one, it was like realizing that healing from narcissism and white supremacy and things was necessary. Like that wasn't even something I was encountering when I first came into it. And so then I was bringing all my same baggage and things to a new arena and causing harm in a new way because I hadn't really healed myself. And like now, I mean, and there's so many good books and so many uh, good resources on healing from white supremacy. But the most recent thing I read was Body Becoming by Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. Mm. And sitting with uh, like one of their sentences was something like changing me changes the world. And so talking about like healing yourself as an individual, leading that, um, you know, like when you look at the collective body, right? Like us communally, um, us Mm. as a community Mm. and just how unhealed so many of us are, but how I can see my own life. I'm obviously the primary beneficiary of my healing, but there are yeah. secondary beneficiaries as well. Like my kids, Steven, uh, my friends, yeah. and that's spil- feeling spilling over. And so just hearing you talk about like initially everyone is welcome, but then if there's harm done, um, cause we can't avoid conflict and things repairing the harm. And I feel like yes. reparation, um, Well, like capital R reparations, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Mm -hmm, but also mm -hmm. reparation of harm done when it comes to us as individuals. And then I feel like that will inform the institutions, the government, um, all those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to say that, yeah, when we met in December, last year on the legacy trip that was started by Tina Strong. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, I remember talking with you and letting you know, like, I listened to your podcast and <laughs> love it because again, like on my coming out of the white evangelical church, like still the people dominating so much of the quote deconstruction space were still white men, like progressive white men who a lot of them, again, like were just like me, not doing that work of actually um decolonizing and Mm. so just how grateful I was to like find your podcast I mean I think I saw one of your videos that would have been in 2020 probably on Facebook Mm. and from there um the existential and so yes like the podcast and your conversations and the way you hold space and talk to people is just like something to just nestle into Mm. um And so I'm just really grateful for for that. But I'm curious, like, has there been anything challenging or difficult about hosting Existential?
1: Oh, man. Uh, You know, so far I've been blessed that nothing has been too challenging or difficult. I think that I'm always trying to um, allow for nuance and not to um, get too deeply into any echo chamber where it's just kind of like you know this is all there is to know and these progressive opinions are you know all there is and and there's no space for any sort of conservative value or any of that you know like I I know that there's we're, we're kind of being pushed or pulled in that direction when it comes to our national dialogue that you know there's very little nuance which does create this like I think this need for like very strong and principled dialogues around things that are important and uh, that are preserving life, uh, preserving the dignity of, of, of all human beings as best as we can. So I think the challenge is like, you know, do I have enough space for people to go? I don't necessarily agree with that, right? But I'm still listening, and I, I think we've been able to do that with the podcast. But I also know that that's that's always a challenge because I do have I do have in, inclinations and leanings, and and I you know I I am a person who finds myself more and more intrigued by, if not enthralled by, the progressive you know politically progressive agenda, if you will, uh, because it sounds more and more like. Um, good to me (laughs) you know it sounds more inclusive sounds more belonging sounds more like it's willing to um do good for people even though i know i don't necessarily trust trust politicians right right but but i think that at least the language is like okay i i resonate with this language which by the way you know i think is you know when it comes to the roe v wade thing I, i think is one of the things that i think is Is most frustrating to me is how politicians can create a system of perpetual argument where you're not even having the same argument. Like there's a group of people arguing to save innocent babies from bloodthirsty, violent killers. And then there's a group of people having an argument or a conversation about the autonomy of their bodies. And those are those are not the same (laughs) conversations. and I think if you switched hats and asked people to speak honestly, I think that there are people um, who are firmly entrenched in fighting for and rightfully fighting for and contending for agency for women would also want to protect innocent life. And I think there are people who would want to protect innocent life who would obviously say we also want to preserve and protect the agency of um, and not just women, of course, because we know that it's not just women that need um, abortions. So, uh, of of people who are in need of um, of services for their pregnancies, like there are things where everyone would agree, but it just gets so polarizing because the conversation like just keeps escalating and escalating, and there's so much misinformation and and purposefully like. Um, uh incendiary statements made it's just just for clickbait just so that people can get outraged and then the algorithm picks it up and goes oh let's force let's push more of this out and push more of this over here and make sure that the people get worked up into a frenzy so they keep coming back to our platform to see what people had to say about their comments i mean it's just like that's what we're living in right now yeah
0: and i think too i saw someone else bring this up um and I wish I could remember who, but talking about the white urgency right now. And so what I've seen particularly from white cisgender women is the, um, You know, I saw where one white woman who I follow was like, oh, so white women can speak up. They just don't do it for black lives. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, oh, okay. And so the amount of, and like, and I've posted a lot too, but I'm trying to do it in a way that, you know, it isn't continual and it's more expansive. It's more than just like. And so even in what i shared about if it were about babies then these things i just was like yes to all of this and a heart you know like i'm not trying to generate uh outrage or have like i had no like, i guess i should know <laughs> but it's like i wasn't even to me i was like this isn't a controversial thing but i forget exactly. how capitalism is so in like we're so as a a, a country Uh, regardless of your politics, capitalism is a cornerstone, right? Like Joe Biden over and over again. Like I'm a capitalist Mm -hmm. as someone Mm -hmm. uh, brought up in my call Mm -hmm. with Letty last night, um, reminding us. So yeah, it's like sitting with that and saying, I thought that by posting this, this was me just saying, Hey, let's get one step closer to what I think is on earth as in heaven, where everyone has Mm -hmm. needs met. And as Letty said, Mm -hmm. what they want too. as you know, Mm -hmm. that's all I was thinking, but the the way that someone's going to read into that as oh you're saying this against me you're saying that i as a christian don't care and it's like wow if like and honestly it's like if that's your first thought is that that's what you think i was saying like i i ended up reposting and saying like if this brings up discomfort in you like i invite you to sit with that
1: yeah 100 percent
0: um because if that's bringing up something for you that i wasn't implying then maybe that's something you can sit with. Yeah, don't do that exactly. here in my comments, but go sit with that, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yeah. hey, it's I not my business. That. How yeah. it triggers you <laughs> is not my
1: business. But if it did trigger you, I advise you to deal with it.
0: Go work through that. Go work yeah. through that, right? But I'm just like, and I think a part of it too, at least from my experience, I don't know if, if you would agree with this, within white evangelicalism is a disembodiment, right? Oh, like yeah. a, a learning to not trust your emotions, your feelings, mm. your intuition, fill in the blank. And it disconnects us from ourselves. Mm. And so I think that as we do that, what I've seen for myself is that if I don't have space for myself and my human needs, I'm not going to have space for other people and their human needs. Mm. And um, I mean, and I grew up with, uh, or didn't grow up so much as when I was 19 entered into a church that was, I mean, I'm sure my church growing up, I just don't remember the word complementarian. Okay. I don't remember mm-hmm. it in my little mm-hmm. Southern Baptist church growing mm-hmm. up, but mm-hmm. at the church I started going to, that was an Acts 29 church and still part of um, the South Carolina, um, bad, whatever it is, the Southern Baptist convention here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> complementarianism was a huge cornerstone and so then i feel like that and the language of like your body is not your own um Mm -hmm. like that that bible verse was very like hammered in through the books that were recommended and the um i don't even want to say his name but this one oh, man right. who has his whole like <laughs> platform about yeah. you know uh anyway so sitting with that i'm like this is not this isn't a message that anyone needs to hear no one needs to hear your body's not your own um and have that hammered into them but especially not people whose rights and way of living in the world are continually uh up for debate <laughs> you know
1: exactly right and
0: so as i've been sitting with that I really am wondering um, with Christians, if, if you would agree with this, or I shouldn't say Christians, because obviously the, the Christians are more than just white uh, conservative Christians, <laughs> right? right? But within the white conservative establishment that I was a part of, consent and autonomy mm. just weren't important mm. as, a, as a whole when it's all about count others more significant than yourself. Uh, again, your body is not your own, but also little things like without my permission, sharing something I've said and making it a prayer request. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you didn't ask and that used to bother me and I didn't know why. And then it just hit me yesterday. And it was like, Oh, because now I have the 100%. language for it. You didn't have my permission. I did not yeah. consent to, you know? So yeah. I just think within the white Christian evangelical establishment, I was a part of, uh, consent and autonomy were not things to be prized. Uh, I mean, there was the whole phrase of like, you know, you don't have any rights. You give those up in Christ. And so with that backdrop, I feel like that adds a whole other layer to this conversation when it comes to bodily autonomy for anyone who, uh, is, has a uterus and can um carry a baby right like mm-hmm. bodily autonomy within a like these these particular christians wanting to have a whole theocracy which is just <laughs> anyway so yeah i mean i don't know like do you do you see that like oh, uh, I do. does that yeah. resonate with you about the autonomy and consent and
1: it totally does i mean if, what most resonates is the is the idea of disembodiment and and a um a segmenting of our spiritual life from our mm. everyday life, right? It's like, it's like okay, it's Sunday Sunday morning in church or when you're reading your Bible or praying or singing worship songs and you have entered into a spiritual realm and you come out of a spiritual realm when you go to work and when you parent your kids, when you go to school and when you go to the voting booth, all of these things are just separate and some things are sacred and some things are not, are secular. But that's not the original idea uh, ideology of, ancient people of faith or spiritual Mm -hmm. people from antiquity were people that believed everything was sacred. Mm -hmm. They didn't separate their raising of their children or their work from sacredness and, and, you know, it being some sort of divine activity that you're involved in. Um, You know, you, which is why like writers, like Paul would write things about when do things as unto the Lord, meaning that it's sacred. If you're doing it, it's sacred. And, and I think that so much of the Western ideology is so um, compartmentalized that I don't even think they all recognize how much they're jumping in and out of arguments even, right? You'll jump into an argument of separation of church and state, but then you'll celebrate when the state decides to do something that you believe is moral, right? Or you'll You'll want there to be the separation of church and state when it comes to, like, let's say, uh, a Muslim praying in school. But when a Christian prays in school, you're up. You're like, yes, that's what we want. And and I think that's to me uh, a, a desire for there to be a new empire, but that that empire be Christian. Mm-hmm. That that we like that Christians get to dominate and make the decisions and tell people what they can and can't do, um, you know, it's like, as long as we have the knife, the knife is okay. But when we don't have the knife, the knife is a weapon and it's oppressive and it's dangerous and nobody should have it. But if we have it, it's, oh, it's all good. It's good guys. There's a Christian with a knife now, so we're good. And I think that's just like what I see in a disembodiment of trusting our intuition and our instincts and even how we treat the planet. like. Like we're like we act like the earth is just like here to serve us and and eventually God's gonna have this other place that everybody can go to that's not on earth and and so we can trash it and it's all good. And I think it's just like again, yeah, there's a disembodiment to that. There is a there's this whole spiritual realm that matters more than what's happening here, which is why your bodily autonomy doesn't really matter either, because it's not about your body, it's about your spirit. There's a separation and that's not at all, what like the folks that wrote, even wrote the Bible not, not to mention other spiritual and sacred writings from other traditions that that are, I would say, equally as powerful, equally as meaningful, equal equally as sacred that talk about our bodies. Um, our agency, our treatment of other people's bodies, other people's stuff, the planet, the animals, everything here being sacred being a temple being a, a, a sanctuary for for the divine that's how we should treat all of it and in doing in treating everything that way there's just some things that people say online that I just don't know how you say that if you believe that everything is sacred
0: yeah I know I feel like what first came up for me and I'm, I hope I'm using the right word but like this asceticism right uh I learned to just sort of like you deprive yourself even within a lot of these circles. And so it's like, again, if I don't have space for good things for myself, and if I view my own body as wicked and put the body and the desires of the body to death, like all the ways that I view myself and interact with myself inform how I view and interact with other people. And, you know, there's the whole total depravity conversation. And again, like if I view myself as totally depraved and I'm being taught that humans are totally depraved, there's all of that. And I just remember even, you know, we wouldn't go out to eat because it was just too much money, you know, like, even though we had enough money, it's like we, again, and I think that feels this like judgment of other people too, for living in a way that's like, well, you're just not as good of a steward as us and you're not as frugal Mm. as us. Right. (laughs) So there's that aspect of it. And (laughs) then I was thinking too, about, I remember being told at that same church I started out when I was 19, that part of the curse in Genesis three is that, uh, women will want to rule over men, right? Like your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And it was like, I was taught it as, uh, you will want to usurp his authority and usurp his power. And though, again, like how that then makes us view like how I viewed myself like oh am I this manipulative person who anytime I want autonomy anytime I want a voice then it is because and now I can sit with it and be like oh yeah there are times I definitely don't want to submit and there are times I definitely want to say no but that's not because I'm a woman it's because I'm a human and it's because (laughs) it's like yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) and there are times where I should not so I should not just say yes you know so Uh all of that, See, but.
1: The, it's the, and I think there's like, in that, there's just like um misunderstanding of like writings, ancient writings. It's like, if someone a thousand years from now watches, let's say, um, The Breakup, it's like Jennifer Aniston and then, um, I forget the guy's name now, the, the movie from several years ago, the first one that came to mind. Like you watch that and, and you have expectations that they're going to be uh historically accurate that they're going to cover science that they're going to wrestle with like the political realities of that day and age that you didn't understand the genre you mm-hmm. you you were looking to a romantic comedy to do something that romantic comedies don't do right. and so much of what what fundamentalists do with, with Christianity is you take a for instance Genesis 3 which is a poem which is, a, or, which is a part of an origin story of how the world came to be that was meant to be uh, philosophical and artsy and not a literal telling of history. But if you look to that to be historic and to give you like the history of the world, then you're gonna have expectations of it and you're gonna draw conclusions from it that of course are damaging to women, to men, to everyone. To, to like, because it's like, it's it's telling you that Adam and Eve were literally the only two people on the planet at one point, and that literally there was a talking serpent, and that literally like that serpent deceived the woman. Therefore, the woman's weaker, and and then this curse is is put on them. And now from that day forward, that's why there's pain in childbirth, and that's why men have to work by the sweat of their brow. Even though actually men don't work by the sweat of their brow anymore, but like like for the most part, you know what I'm saying. So you have like all of these things that people go. This is literally it and the psychology behind it is like you said, I now as a woman am taught that instinctively by nature, by the by virtue of being a woman, I am bound to certain behaviors, certain ways of being that is a part of every woman's makeup. So we no longer, we don't have autonomy in how we think in our emotional makeup or our bodies because we're all the same because of what we read In this historical account of the origin of the world in our mind Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of recognizing someone wrote some poetry and there's meaning that i can extract from that poetry but it's not a historical document
0: Mm. oh okay this is so good like (laughs) uh, yes it's just (laughs) yeah not trying to get something from what it's not like I love that. Uh, Resting in like, that's not the genre and it's not the point. Uh, Well, so good. And I think just, yeah, some other things that stuck out to me is just like the empire language. And it's like, well, if it's the Christian in charge and it's a good world, like for these people. And I was thinking about like, when you look at how our nation even started with Uh, or like what we call the United States starting like the, the, this colonial empire, like we started as an empire and we started uh, Mm -hmm. built on the enslavement of African people taken Mm -hmm. and then their Mm -hmm. descendants and the genocide of indigenous peoples and trying to erase those people who are still here, you know, Mm -hmm. and all of those things all in the name of manifest destiny, right? All in the name of these things. And when you look at arguments that enslavers used and um, I'm trying to remember, was it uh, one of the slave enslaved person's narratives? It was like slave narrative of uh, like one of the more popular ones, Solomon Northup maybe. Um, But he talked about like how these enslavers would use scripture Mm -hmm. in the things that they did. And it's like, these are the people running everything. And so then we we see all these things that happened. And then these turning points in our country. And then on the scene comes like the Christians are fighting against integration. You know, and it's like, well, when they could no longer do that, these Christians banded together to form their moral majority. Is that what they were called? The moral majority. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's when they are coalescing around the issue of, uh, abortion which had previously been seen as a catholic issue right so it's like when you understand this history and how these people have become the minority in a lot of ways but deemed themselves the moral majority and they've just been working ever since then and again in let in the um webinar with Luddy last night, we talked about how like Roe v. Wade, like they've been chipping away at it for decades. And so it didn't, and all of this didn't just happen overnight. And when you just look at how whiteness works and white evangelicalism, and you see the, how they have been, it's all about building back to taking power back for themselves under the guise of, and I mean, and I know, I know because I used to be one of those people that it's like, you, you really think like you're doing God's work. Like I know they're sincere in that belief, um, but look at like the thing I keep coming back to is look at the fruit of your beliefs, you know, a good tree bears good fruit. And it's like, look at this rotten fruit. And so hmm. how do you allow for nuance right? Like as you're saying that, I'm sitting with that and I'm like, that's what I want. you know it's like as long as no one's being harmed or that harm isn't being excused, I want to allow for the nuance. I want to sit with you in this even if I don't even if I don't agree like I want to work on why that's bringing something up in me yeah. uh, And so I'm yeah. sitting with that and not wanting to segment my spiritual life from my everyday and make a secular sacred divide that doesn't actually exist and so yeah I'm just I'm just sitting with that a lot of humanity enhancing nuance how do I see your humanity because that's something that you said Mm -hmm. even with your podcast the podcast that reminds us that we are humans first before anything else and yeah so I guess that would be one of the final questions that I'll ask you is like in hosting existential like what is bringing you joy and with that uh, humanity-centered approach. Like, why is that important?
1: Yeah, I think it's important because you know, as I'm listening to you talk about all these things, I'm just reminded of of just how um, a human and frail and limited we are as people. And certain things in life, whether it's religion or fame or wealth, status uh lets us check into something that's like superhuman and I think to live there is unhealthy right? I think to live in a space that is somehow more than just human is damaging to yourself and others around you because you um start to believe things that are not necessarily beneficial let alone true and then you also start to like um manipulate the world to get that feeling back. Manip- manipulate the world around you to keep that feeling of superiority that you gain from, again, religion, power, money, um, sex, I mean, you know, status, gender, all, any of those things you can check into that make you feel like, I'm better than, I'm superior to. Um, and then you start to do things like, let's, change the way we teach our kids, because if we teach the kids unadulterated history, they're not going to believe that we're supreme, they're not going, they're going to know that there is some there are things that we've done to establish our great democracy that are atrocious that are evil that are the same as what any other dictator throughout history has done to people. Um, and use like it so I think while what you're talking I was thinking about how, you know, for the Christian. It's important that any science that suggests that the world is millions, if not billions of years old, um, is is kind of marginalized because the Christian tradition is only about 2,000 years old. So for there to have ever been anything before Christianity (laughs) means that there is a whole wealth, thousands upon thousands and millions of years of, of the planet being here. That where there is no talk of Jesus, there is no talk of, of of Yahweh. There's none of this stuff. But the world is here and surviving, and somehow, you know, is here. Mm-hmm. Then that means that I have to give some credibility to things outside of Christianity, which is a threat mm-hmm. because Christianity makes a lot of exclusive claims. Especially modern Western Christianity makes a lot of exclusive claims that we're we have. The information about the divine and this is we're the source for all things good and compassionate love and grace and mercy, um, and the good place. Like that's this is these are all our brands. But if there is anything that predates us, you know what I'm saying? Then it's like, uh maybe like how could we be the originators, but there's we didn't get here first. It's like Pepsi showing up and saying, We're the first people to do cola when. Coca-Cola is like, no, we were here before you, you know what I mean? So I think the, it's important that like, you know, for me, the podcast that we're having human conversations because human conversations acknowledges frailty, mystery. Um, uh, it, it, it walks away from certainty because no human being can be certain of anything, you know, when it comes to like things beyond what's right in front of us, which is why being present is so important. Because like one of the things that's happened to us is that we find ourselves fighting every battle that there is to fight because social media takes us away from being right present in our own home. So being here in California, our government, our, our governors come out and said abortions are safe here, get to worry about. So the conversation around abortion here should be different than the conversation that's had in Alabama or Texas or Nashville you know like it's like you have different context but when you sort of when you idolize issues then it's like I have to be involved in everything that's happening in the world to validate Mm -hmm. my wokeness my whatever it is but my humanness is there's a limit to the things Mm -hmm. that I can actually deeply care about there like the the other day there was that that everyone was posting about that tractor trailer, awful, terrible, where 46 people were found in it that were dead. That was a a, a a situation gone wrong with some migrants trying to get in the country. And of course, there's a whole lot of political ramifications and tentacles to that and things we can get into. But I'm like, um, we just had Roe v. Wade. Uh, we just had a uh, mass shooting Um, at an elementary school a week prior to that we had a shooting at a grocery store in a predominantly black neighborhood we are still in a pandemic we're we just we're still like have a a massive um um i don't even call it conflict a massive violation of human rights happening in the ukraine russia like it's like at a certain at a certain place it's like dude i I can't bear all of that as a human, you know? So the podcast tries to, again, it's like have the conversations as human beings do. And really that mainly came from me recognizing that some things we look at as an issue when at, behind that issue is a human life that's affected by it. And affected by it in ways that like, they can't advocate for themselves over or they don't feel like they have any allies over so it's like that it was me going how do we talk about issues in ways that like bring it to life for people where they can see themselves in it so i thought well we'll have conversations with people and we'll hear stories and we'll like hear people talk about like one of the story one of my favorite stories from existential was um I think it's episode five, actually. Like I don't know, ninety some episodes ago, um, and it was my friend Eric Butler, and he talked about this kid who um, lived in Oakland and started selling drugs to feed his family because his mom was his mom was on drugs, dad was gone, and he went outside his house and he asked a drug dealer for money to get something to eat. The drug dealer said no, but you can sell these you can sell these drugs and the kid said okay fine that's gonna get money to eat he got robbed went back to the drug dealer and said hey, i don't have your money I got robbed drug dealer said okay cool here's a gun to protect yourself so then this kid is at home he's got a gun he's got drugs his gun protects the drugs that he has to sell to feed his family the drugs are for him to sell he knows if he leaves the drugs at home his mom will smoke them he knows he leaves the gun at home. His mom could find it, sell it to buy drugs. So he takes the drugs and the gun in his backpack and goes to school. The gun falls out of his backpack, goes off in class, and then you have this conversation about a kid who's a thug who brought a gun to school, and that's all you hear. That's all you hear. That's the headline. There's a, a juvenile, a black juvenile in Oakland, and everybody rolls their eyes and said, "Oh my God, is Oakland so violent?" It's like you have this whole whole area of 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 uh, civilization. It's just like a bunch of animals all trying to kill each other without knowing, but then you hear that story and you go, what would I do if I was in that kid's shoes? And these are my only options. Like take, leave the gun at home, leave the drugs at home and starve, or take the drugs and gun to school so that I can feed me and my brothers and sisters. Like, and these are the stories behind Roe v Wade behind gun legislation behind um, defunding the police behind so many of these behind black lives matter behind so many of these 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 really polarizing issues that people like to demonize there are stories just like every one of these where you where I would where I put to people is what would you do if this was your son your daughter your child if it was you what would you do And that humanizes it. And I think once you humanize it, hopefully if people are being authentic and honest, you go, oh yeah, yeah, there's There's more to this than what I thought there was.
0: I think even just the, you know, my podcast title, Broadening the Narrative. And it's like, I look at the narratives that are pushed within white evangelicalism Mm -hmm. and how that informed my worldview versus Mm -hmm. when I hear a, a real human's narrative Yes. That removes stereotypes or whatever assumptions were brought into it. And I get to just sit and I get to listen. Mm-hmm. It's a very different perception comes around as a result of that. And I was thinking about like Audre Lorde, uh, the the mythical norm and this idea of like the more privileged positions you hold, the harder it is to recognize the, all of your privilege and to see the ways that people are harmed. And then I feel like that gets into you talking about like, then you see yourself as super superhuman, mm-hmm. right. Which feeds into like a culture of narcissism that we have mm-hmm. and detached from the experiences of other people all to hold on to power. And then you gatekeep and you exclude. Mm-hmm. And then there's Christian supremacy in this context. And so yeah, to like sit with, the frailty of us as humans mystery and being present were the things that stuck out to me that I wrote down. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking too, just about how we have limits, like you bringing that up, like for our information intake. And so for me to like, think back to, again, when I first came out of the white evangelical Mm -hmm. context and how overwhelmed I could get, because I wasn't healing the deeper parts of myself. And again, that white urgency about things. And then it was like, mm. Oh, do I like the performative aspect of, Oh, if I don't post about this, does it look like I don't care? I don't want, I don't want people to think I don't care about this, mm. you know, cause I care. I want to prove that I care about, it. <laughs> but just how exhausting that is. And I think that too, uh, I think it was like Chuck DeGroat who wrote the book when narcissism comes to, Ch- comes to church. And mm. I don't know if he was quoting someone else or if this was like to him, uh, talking about narcissism mm. being the refusal to accept limits, you know, oh. when I see how inextricably linked whiteness and narcissism are to one another, I see this refusal to accept the limits and accept like I'm human and I can't, I can't. And we weren't made to bring in all of this information that is at our fingertips all the time. Like we can't hold all of yeah. that, but if I'm yeah. healing myself and if I'm doing what I can in my little corner pocket, whatever of the world, then this idea of contending for a better world, right where I am and being present where I am and how you say like on your podcast, one conversation at a time, moving closer to what I think you know, I don't know what happens after we die. I have a lot of questions about that now where there used to be certainty for sure. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I do know that one step closer to on earth as it is in heaven, isn't what is around us right now. Like I want to, I want to get us another, the world around me one step closer. And so as I sit with that, like that was just something coming up for me is wanting to ask you, how do you, what are the sort of markers for you to know when it's, a conversation you know if it's one conversation at a time when do you know it's a conversation you should engage in
1: oh man well so that's the best way for me to gauge that is um first and foremost the um amount of relational capital i have in that relationship you know how, how long have i known you what do we know about each other Um, what journey have we been on, you know, what's emerged out of our friendship, Um, are you trustworthy? And then when it comes to, you know, maybe a stranger on the internet, you know, I mean, there's ways that you can engage with someone that shows that you have questions and curiosity about what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as an example, you know, someone Someone showed up in my um, inbox after I had posted something about Roe v. Wade um, and, you know, what was trying to stand in solidarity with, with folks who uh, had felt their agency was taken away from them. This person said, I'm confused by Christians posting stuff like this, you know, followers of Christ. Which, first off, I'll say that I don't even know that I associate with Christian anymore you know like i actually I'm, i know that i don't I, I but i don't i don't believe it's a necessary terminology um actually i know it's not i mean it, it's not like there is even even if you were to um take the bible 100% literally there is nothing in the bible that says you have to call yourself a christian mm-hmm. for God to accept you or to get into the good place. You know what I mean? It's like, there's not like, that's not. So for me, like associating with that terminology to me, is like, I just don't know that I even care,
0: hmm.
1: you know? So people, yeah. people place their expectations on me based on that label. I go, well, first and foremost, um, you know, you're assuming that that's a, that's still a, a badge that I wear. It's not. Secondly, um, when I'm confused, I ask questions, you know? when well, if I'm genuinely confused <laughs> by something like, hey, I don't understand. what did you do in school when you were confused? you raise your hand, and you, if you cared, you raise your hand and go, hey, um, I don't understand how we got to this being the square root of this because all that stuff doesn't make sense to me. I'm confused, could you go back? You know what I mean? Because you cared, but a sarcastic I'm confused is never gonna get a dialogue from me because all what you're basically saying to me is, I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. I di- or I'll save you a lot of trouble. I disagree with you. Yeah. Okay, cool. But the uh, like this self-righteous kind of like presenting me with an expectation that I behave or think the way that you do. It's not a dialogue. You're trying to convert me, and I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not here for that. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not here to, you know, go round and round with you, especially given. That most of the comments, at least that I have seen, um, are from people who haven't actually done the same work that you've done. Mm-hmm. They, haven't read the, they haven't read the same books, or even the amount of books. They haven't saw the same information. They've been engaged in the dialogue long enough. Like if you can tell when people are just new to the, they're not even involved in dialogue. They're just right. throwing rocks at you. They're not actually trying to engage because there's certain language that you use when you're trying to engage with people. Mm-hmm. That shows I've done some work in this. I've looked into this, I've, and now I've got questions because I've looked at this. And have you considered this thing? It's like those are dialogues I can get into. I had one today with a friend about Roe v. Wade. That's on a different has a different position than I do. It's like cool, you know. I'm like we can engage in dialogue because you're not trying to convince me. I'm not trying to convince you. We're just sharing our beliefs on it and remaining in community.
0: Yeah. Mm, yes. And what a vision that is of being able to remain in community with someone, because you're both committed to understanding the other person mm-hmm. rather than trying to move that other person to where you are. And it's like, when I land somewhere, I obviously like think that at that point, what I think is quote right and good, but that doesn't like one, I could change on that. <laughs> like I hold that very loosely. <laughs> I could change on it and, and move even closer, hopefully to justice and Uh, a humanity enhancing nuance and all those things. Um, But yeah, like I was just thinking like, until I started that inner work of healing myself, it was just really easy to ghost the process to ghost a person like, and I think there can still be times where ghosting a person who is causing you harm is like, it's fine. But I think that weighing the relationship like you talked about, and also that word sticking out to me of curiosity, because in my therapy of using internal family systems model of therapy and this idea of like live from who you truly are. And you can know Mm -hmm. you're doing that when you have these different C's. And one of them is curiosity and Mm -hmm. asking questions of people. And that is just such a different way of like, we I'll tell this one thing, and then we can wrap up with the, the wrap up questions is that we had a conversation with, a family member, and it went so it was this redemptive experience because hmm. one, I think it shows like growth as an individual on my part that again that I was willing to like I was nervous like my my alarms were going off in my body, hmm. but I was able to in uh, integrate some of the things that I've been learning and to ask this person like oh because Stephen asked uh, the the people we were talking to like have you been watching the january 6th hearings and like one of the people was like oh about the supposed uh thing at the cabinet Steve was like well no, it's not supposed to. like it it happened. it did happen you know and that person ended up leaving you know i guess they they know themselves well enough to know they'll they'll go to the next room they do, they weren't part of the conversation but the other person was like no i didn't even know they were like I didn't know they were happening. So kind of sitting with that of like, wow, again, mythical norm, right? When you're, when you are mm-hmm. that far removed and you're that privileged, you have no idea. And Steve and I were like, again, not that long ago, we would be parroting the same things, thinking the same mm-hmm. things. So then we're sitting there with these people who we love these people, right? That there's this affection for them. Uh, deeply and it's like I don't want to sever this relationship it's important to me and so then we're sitting there and Stephen was like well do you think the election was stolen you know the person was like no like I was disappointed that Biden won but like I don't think it was stolen and so Stephen was like okay yeah because you know whatever the percentages of Republicans think that it was I was just curious about the people who I know personally what they thought Mm. and again it was that that I'm curious what Mm. you you know what you Mm. thought Mm. and then Stephen asked like well, why were you disappointed, you know? And then mm. we got to just have this conversation and this person uh, admitted that they wanted Trump to win again and that they had voted for Trump. And so Stephen was like, oh, well, why did you vote for Trump? Mm. And, you know, and so I know that there are some people who would say, you don't even need to have that conversation. Um, but I was able to, in my body, realize this isn't an un, like this isn't a conversation that i don't need to be having mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. a conversation with someone who i don't know how movable they are i don't know if they'll move closer to but they're not they're not moving away <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i don't know if they'll move mm-hmm. closer but they're not moving away mm-hmm. and so i'm sitting with that person and we're talking through things and then um i was sharing some things as well Because um, Stephen asked, like, why did you vote for Trump? Again, just like all these questions. And it was like, well, honestly, every year for however long, like we didn't get money back on our tax returns, but with him as president, I got money back on my tax returns. And it was like that honesty that honesty right there. I was like, they didn't try to hide and they weren't like a jerk about it. They were saying right, right, this was right. why. And they were like, and you know, that's probably not the right reason, but that was why. And I was like, you know what? I respect that. It wasn't like, cause of unborn babies. It wasn't whatever the talking point could be. It was like this to them, an economic privilege that they um, experienced under, under him. And so then I got to share my personal experience of yes. Well, in 2016, I, I, I too voted for Donald Trump. Like, cause I, I never want to act like I wasn't that person. It's like, yes, Mm -hmm. this is a part of my journey. And so I was like, yeah, I did. Um, I said, you know, I was opposed to him when he bragged about grabbing women by the pussy. I was, Mm -hmm. I, that disgusted me and I was going to vote third party for sure. And I said, you know, when I looked around me and none of the Christian men were saying anything against him saying that, and Mm -hmm. it fosters again, Mm -hmm. that uneasiness of am I the one that's wrong? Like no one else sees anything wrong with this, you know? Um, And then when I got to that voting booth, having, you know, resolved to vote third party and also like we live in South Carolina in a red state. So my vote means nothing, but I was so, I was so nervous that like, I couldn't have Hillary Clinton win, you know, that was the, that was where I was back then. So I was like, okay, then I have to vote for Donald Trump. And, uh, I did a whole webinar last summer. I think it was with Weeze, Luddy, Maisha, and it was called, um, from master's wife to social influencer. And it was about how white women aligning with their whiteness over their liberation as women. Mm. And that's why so many of us voted for Donald Trump. And it was like, yeah, that, that was me. And so I shared that with, this family member said like, this was my experience. This was why I did it in 2016. I was like, but after that, the more stories I listened to, the more people I sat with, I couldn't do it again in 2020. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so just sharing my story and my experience and this person Receiving it was very redemptive because I I'm just gonna say like those kind of conversations are so rare mm-hmm. for for that level of calmness and curiosity to permeate the conversation. So yeah. I say that to just say like I love like existential and the conversations you're having. This conversation that we're having, um, mm. other like when that can can reign in the conversation um yeah it's just sure. really beautiful you know yeah it is so, yeah
1: yeah thanks for sharing that i mean yeah. that's that's amazing that's, it's really cool yeah. when that stuff happens because you're right it is rare yeah
0: yeah so um well yeah do you have anything coming up with existential that you would like to share before we do our final questions
1: no i mean we you know as always anyone who wants to be a part of our patreon community can do that um you know we're we are beginning to ramp up our activity with Patreon. We have a monthly um, monthly call that we have, but we just sort of are in, commun- in community with each other and trying to figure out other ways of contending for a better world together. New season starts July 6th, I think next Wednesday. Um, you know, we've got some episodes I've recorded that we're going to uh, start releasing. I've had some really, really great guests that I've gotten to talk to and then you know, some things that i got to share uh, really about what I mean by continuing for a better world. It's actually the Mm -hmm. first episode. So I'm excited about that. And other than that, there's nothing really, not not too much coming up, just grinding away, doing the same old things, you know?
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, these final questions are ones I'm borrowing from Tasha Hunter, who's the host of When We Speak. And I wanted to ask those to close out our conversation. Who or what inspires you?
1: Oh, man. Ah, man, such a great question. Who or what? There's lots of folks that inspire me. I mean, you've mentioned some of them here. Letty, Maisha, um, Tina, um, Andre Henry has inspired me. Um, I've been inspired by the work of Linda Sarsour. Um, I have been inspired by Rob Bell. Um, let's see. James Baldwin, James Cone, Dolores Williams. I mean, these are all like, Some of the names of folks that have inspired me. And then, what I would say is, um, man, mountains, beach, space. Space is really inspiring me right now. Like, it's like this, like, I follow all these like NASA accounts or like these explore pages on Instagram and these video images of stuff that, like, it just seems like otherworldly. It just, it amazes me.
0: and so when you follow those things, do you get a lot of recommendations in your reels of stuff about space? Yes. Because I was gonna say I watched one video of a cake being decorated and now like that's what I get. But I'm like, (laughs) I love it and I will watch a cake all day long Yes. decorated. Yes, yes. that's what it like
1: I get I get all these like Pictures of Earth and animals <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm like, you know what? This is the one time that social media's algorithm has gotten something right, and I'm yeah. with it. Yeah, just yeah, keep, just keep that. feeding me more of this. I mean, yes,
0: field. oh, that's awesome. Well, who or what makes you laugh?
1: Oh man, uh, my kids make me laugh. My wife makes me laugh. Um, Veep. I watch. I Veep had like five seasons, and I, I lots. It's probably about four nights a week I go to bed watching veep like i'll turn Veep on, watch an episode laugh Mm -hmm. and go to sleep uh the office makes me laugh of course um and that's probably i mean there's i'm sure there's lots of other stuff that makes me laugh but those that's what comes to mind first
0: yeah awesome well what song or type of music gets you dancing
1: (laughs) um pop music usually will get me dancing i do a lot of i've been back on the peloton and Usually pop music that comes on while I'm riding the Peloton will have me dancing, but I only dance when I'm on a Peloton because I'm not a great dancer. So oh, I, can I, love only, I can I can only dance when my feet are locked on the pedals. <laughs> then it's just I don't have to coordinate my whole body, just certain parts, my shoulders and arms usually.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying is you won't be releasing any reels anytime soon of oh, dancing. No. Okay. Not, okay. Not at all. Not yeah. At all awesome well okay so i have your patreon i'll drop that in the show notes uh new season starting july 6th where can people find you on social media to stay up to date on your work
1: uh at corey evan music on instagram no on twitter that's why i'm on twitter and then at corey evan leak on instagram
0: Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Corey, for this conversation, talking with me about contending for a better world. And thanks for having me. I just enjoyed this conversation. I'm so grateful for you. So thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been an honor for real.
0: Thank you so much for listening to broadening the narrative. Follow me on Instagram at broadening the narrative. If you haven't yet, please rate review and follow the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Your engagement helps others find the show. If you like what you heard today, share it with a friend and on your social media, I really think that little by little, person by person, we can broaden the narrative. My memoir, As Familiar's Family, is now available to purchase through my website at NikkiPappas.com. As Familiar's Family explores how I was groomed for toxic relationships and religion and how I got out, and I know I'm not the only one. So head to my website to buy a copy for yourself and anyone else who is hurting healing from toxic relationships and religion. The music for this season was created by Joshua Pappas, my oldest child. We worked together using the Chrome Music Lab song maker and had so much fun. I also want to thank Daniel Boland for creating the episode graphic. You can access the Broadening the Narrative blog and transcripts for podcast episodes as they become available by visiting my website. Until next time, grace and peace friends.